This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The false and revolutionary promise of total equality. We live in a society that presents equality as a virtue. Indeed, many espouse equality as the primary virtue before which all others must bow. People who refuse to see evil in any other aspect of life argue that any inequality, no matter how well-intentioned, is inherently evil. This is an error. This episode of the Return to Order Moment deals with the nature of that error. First, we'll look at it in a general sense. Then we'll examine a recent development, the proposed Equality Act. And last, we'll look at an especially absurd example of society's embrace of equality. So we begin with Mr. John Horvat's essay, Why Treating Everyone Equally is a Problem. I recently received an email from someone who questioned me on a comment I made about manners. I said that manners presuppose distinctions. They call upon us to honor those who are excellent with special treatment. At the same time, they allow us to show compassion and consideration toward those who are lesser or weaker. I claimed crass egalitarianism leads to today's uncivil society. The reader took issue with these affirmations, saying that all people are children of God and therefore everyone should have the right to be treated equally regardless of who they are or what they have achieved. Hierarchical distinctions are mere fabrications that create resentments and must be avoided. The email surprised me, since I had never really thought about such an objection. Treating others differently seemed very natural to me. However, it now occurs to me that others might share the objection, and so out of special and unequal consideration to them, I thought it would be good to provide an answer. Two main problems need to be resolved. The first is to clarify the confusion between essence and accidents in dealing with human nature. I am the first to admit that all men are equal in their essence as humans. As such, we are all entitled to some fundamental rights, among them the right to life, honor, property, family, and faith. These rights generate in turn certain universal manners of treatment that we deem humane since they are so proper to our nature. From the perspective of the essence of our human nature, all should be treated equally. There should be basic manners that are universally applicable and expected. Everyone knows, for example, that we must not treat others rudely or brutally. We must respect their fundamental dignity. Up to this point, I can well agree with my reader about this basic level of manners. That leads to the second problem, dealing with our accidents. Things get complicated when you start to consider that humans are unequal in their accidents. People are vastly different when we look at their virtue, talent, beauty, strength, family, tradition, and so many other defining characteristics. These inequalities of talents, abilities, and circumstances result in an ordered hierarchical society where individuals or groups have specific leadership roles and functions, just as members in a body play key roles. 
This naturally tends to distill different manners of treatment and consideration. That is to say, hierarchy is not fabricated, but part of the natural order of society. Pope Saint Pius X, in his motto proprio "Fin dalla prima," states, quote, "Human society, as established by God, is composed of unequal elements." Just as the different parts of the human body are unequal, to make them all equal is impossible, and would mean the destruction of human society. Unquote. Thus, an array of different manners helps us exteriorize these distinctions that come from inequality in society. Manners help us make these distinctions known to others. The need to make distinctions is particularly clear in the case of offices and authority. We are commanded by God to honor our father and mother and all legitimate authority, since all authority comes from God. This implies a different treatment because there are others that are not so honored, since they do not share this authority. Honor is the esteem shown someone. One key way it is publicly manifested is by manners and etiquette. Thus, the loving manners by which we honor our mothers, for example, are vastly different from the simpler manners shown to other ladies. When we address a judge as "Your Honor" and show him great respect, we recognize the high purpose of justice in society. The priest is called father and treated with reverence because of our high regard for his sacred office. Failure to recognize this authority through exterior signs weakens the office and the good order of society. That is why the classroom, where distinctions between teacher and students are minimalized and egalitarianism informs speech and behavior, is a recipe for disaster. There is another way in which manners are applied unequally. This consists in giving public honor in recognition of deeds or achievements. If these deeds are done for the benefit of the nation, then society owes them a debt of gratitude, and such persons should, in all justice, be publicly recognized. If a personal achievement represents a milestone of excellence that enriches all society, then it is just that that person be acknowledged, since it benefits the common good. This is what we do when we recognize and thank soldiers for their service and sacrifice. This is also why we honor the hard work and erudition of someone with a doctorate degree by addressing that individual with the just title of doctor, which I found before the email signature of my objecting reader. We naturally treat with special deference a Medal of Honor recipient, a Nobel Prize winner. Or anyone who makes the nation proud of their achievements, such manners and public treatment are good for society, since it teaches the virtue of gratitude to others. It provides an opportunity for justice, whereby we give to others that which is their due. Those honored benefit society immensely, since they are models that serve to motivate others to strive for excellence. Such arguments should make sense even in our egalitarian world. However, I suspect that the cases mentioned above did not get to the core of why many people wish equal manners for everyone. Many have an aversion to treating people unequally because they have a misguided notion of compassion. 
They think that by honoring someone greater, we make someone lesser suffer. They associate inequality with pride and brutality. They believe that the only way to avoid this false dilemma is to disguise excellence and treat everyone the same. In this way, we supposedly practice compassion and Christian charity. The opposite is true. Society is enriched by enormous inequality of offices, conditions, and circumstances. Manners are the habit of thinking about others and acknowledging these social differences. A book of manners is a collection of established formulas that harmonize different sectors of society. Manners need not only be rules, but they can also be touching expressions of tenderness, consideration, and affection that express true compassion. By putting excellence and vulgar behavior on equal footing, we do no favor to anyone. People practice true Christian charity when they do their duty to shine in virtue and excellence. It is wrong to deprive people of their right to have models before their eyes that they might imitate and admire. Manners bring out the best in us. Everyone and society itself is elevated by them. The final problem with treating everyone equally is that the logic of this false compassion inevitably leads to adopting the lowest common denominator of manners to prevent the suffering of the lowliest. Worse, it leads to turning each person into the supreme judge of what constitutes these manners, since each subjectively assesses what causes the least suffering. Thus. Some turn manners into only that which pleases them and takes the least effort. Others retreat into an individualistic world in which they see no real need for manners beyond serving their self-interest. In the frenetic intemperance of the world by instant gratification, so many discard manners and glorify vulgarity. This attitude embeds a universal code of rudeness that well characterizes our egalitarian society. Indeed, I fear the day when all manners will be declared equal. There is nothing more brutal than a false compassion that suppresses all excellence. There is no greater tyrant than the self-centered individualist who does not take others into consideration. There is no worse intolerance than those who claim to tolerate everything in the name of Christian charity. All this leads to a politically correct world that refuses to recognize any superiority or inferiority, even the most obvious ones, for fear of offending others with the truth. In short, it leads to the uncivil society that has so polarized and fragmented our nation. And so I rest my case. I have tried to argue it calmly but passionately. Logically, but with all due respect to those who might object, if we are to return to order in civil society, I politely suggest that we must not treat all manners equally. One aspect of the dilemma over equality is being played out in the Congress of the United States as this podcast is being recorded. It concerns a piece of proposed legislation called the Equality Act. Some listeners may hear this podcast after the issue has been decided one way or the other. That fact, however, doesn't alter the importance of the issue at hand. 
a fact that Mr. Horvat makes clear in his essay, We Want God, Not the Equality Act. The debate over the Equality Act is much more than a discussion on quote-unquote discrimination or quote-unquote rights. If enacted, it will mark the nation's formal and symbolic break with the will of God. Such a conclusion comes from an inadvertent remark during the congressional debate over the nefarious bill. The religious aspect of the proposed legislation trumps all others. Many rightly oppose the measure because they say it will create a right to abortion, facilitate its funding, and impose transgender tyranny on the nation's workplaces, churches, bathrooms, and schools. It will codify quote-unquote gender ideology into the law of the land. All these are legitimate and substantial reasons to oppose the bill. However, the most powerful reason for being vehemently against it is that it represents the severing of America's relationship with God. In congressional hearings about the act, Democratic Congressman Jerry Nadler declared that that which opposes the will of God is of no concern for Congress. This is tantamount to saying that America should exist outside of God's will, that it should be completely indifferent to his divine law. This declaration should cause great concern and grief for the nation. America's ties to God are her most precious possession. The blatant contempt for this relationship cannot fail to have drastic consequences. It would mark a disastrous turning point. Representative Greg Stubbe, Republican Florida, triggered the denial and remarks he made on the House floor about God's intent in creation. Would that in their official statement on the Equality Act, the nation's Catholic bishops had shown the courage of that congressman. Representative Stubbe went straight to the core of the problem, quote, When men or women claim to be able to choose their own sexual identity, they are making a statement that God did not know what he was doing when he created them. The gender confusion that exists in our culture today is a clear rejection of God's good design, he continued. Wherever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, that nation is in rebellion against him and will inevitably bear the consequences. We are seeing the consequences of rejecting God here in our country today. Unquote. As chairman of the hearing, Congressman Nadler's brutal reply was that, quote, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. Unquote. This short and impious statement contains the key to understanding the nation's disastrous state. America has abandoned God. The congressman made matters worse by issuing a public challenge to God's sovereignty over the American land and people. He repudiated the nation's history. By declaring God's will to be a matter of no concern, he formally denies the validity of the Ten Commandments. However, they are an expression of God's will and his loving providence for all nations, in all places, and for all historical eras. Congressman Nadler further kicks aside America's past religious consensus, which recognized God's authority. Although far from ideal, 
the United States was formed around a vague notion of God and a Christian moral code loosely based on the Ten Commandments. This consensus was adopted by the state, embedded in its laws, and engraved on its public buildings. Although far too vague, this consensus had the good effect of deeply imprinting on the national character a sense of morality, godliness, patriotism, and family devotion. It even had a healthy moderating influence on the economy. Vast sectors of the American public remain attached to this moral code loosely based upon the Ten Commandments. This attachment has given rise to reactions in defense of family, traditional marriage, property, faith, morality, and country that are the basis of the culture war still raging across the nation. Congressman Nadler's remark represents a new phase in the political left shift away from God and his moral law. The antagonism is no longer hidden. The left's program is so radical that it allows itself to be unmasked before the public. The congressman's reply succinctly states that God should have no influence in the affairs of his creatures. America takes care of herself. God need not bless America. Nadler's rejection of God echoes Lucifer's primal cry of revolt, I will not serve, in the battle in heaven at the beginning of history. This revolt goes beyond affirming that God's will is a matter of no concern. Instead, it sees God's will as a terrible obstacle that must be removed as the left seeks to quote-unquote reset society toward a state of things that is diametrically opposed to God's will. As the Equity Act's draconian terms prove, those who follow God's law cannot be tolerated, but must be suppressed. Everyone must be forced to validate error and approve sin. The core of the Equality Act is found in this rejection of God's will. If those who favor the act are unafraid to deny God's authority, then those who oppose it must, like Representative Greg Stubbe, courageously affirm it in the name of all Americans who recognize Christ as Lord and King. Now is the time to reaffirm unequivocally and unapologetically America's relationship with God. It is time to say... We want God, who is our King. The other aspects of the bill are important and must be addressed. However, this desire to do God's will despite all obstacles is what will deliver victory. It secures us the right to call on the Lord God of hosts for aid in this unequal battle for the heart and soul of America. There are those who take the fight for an illusory sense of equality even further than Congressman Nadler's blasphemy quoted in the last essay. Some even extend it to the beasts of the jungle, and then are so bold as to couch their absurd ideas in the language of the church. Mr. Joseph Jensen's exposes their false and ridiculous ideas in his essay, Why Are Catholic Theologians Trying to Free an Elephant? Normally, Catholic theologians would be studying theology. But one group thinks that freeing an elephant from the zoo is a moral imperative. 
a group of five Catholic theologians made common cause with the Non-Human Rights Project, NHRP, over the quote-unquote solitary confinement of a 50-year-old Asian elephant named Happy who resides at the Bronx Zoo. In December 2018, thanks to the NHRP, Happy became the first elephant to have a habeas corpus, or unjust imprisonment, hearing in New York. The five Catholic theologians who are supporting this case are John Berkman, Ph.D. of the University of Toronto, Charles Camosi, Ph.D. of Fordham University, Alison Covey, Ph.D. of Villanova University, Celia Dean Drummond, Ph.D. of the University of Notre Dame and the University of Oxford, and Christopher Steck, S.J., Ph.D. of Georgetown University. The theologians wrote a brief requesting the acceptance of the NHRP's appeal. They stated that, quote, Happy is not a thing for us to confine, use, and put on display in a zoo, even in an attempt to produce a good outcome, but rather a particular kind of creature who God made to flourish in a particular way, a way some academics refer to as a telos, As we explain in this brief, we believe Happy cannot flourish as this kind of creature while captive in the Bronx Zoo, and that she would be significantly better able to become the kind of creature God made her to be in a sanctuary. Non-human animals belong to God, not to us. They are God's creatures, not ours. While the theologian's statement may cause some pity for the elephant, The whole case is flawed because it puts human beings and animals on the same level. Catholic social teaching emphasizes that there is a huge difference between man, who is rational and has an immortal soul, and an animal that lives according to its instincts. From the beginning of creation, God gave Adam and his descendants charge over all creation, saying, "...increase and multiply, and fill the earth." and subdue it, and rule over the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the air and all living creatures that move upon the earth. Unquote. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Thus, God created animals to serve men, not to be served by men. The idea that animals are quote-unquote God's creatures, not ours, is absurd because God gave Adam and his descendants the right to rule over animals, albeit in a just way. Although animals do not have rights, the church teaches that they should nonetheless be appropriately treated. Tommaso Maria Zigliara, a 19th century cardinal and theologian, states that, quote, The service of man is the end appointed by the Creator for brute animals. When, therefore, man with no reasonable purpose treats the brute cruelly, he does wrong, not because he violates the rights of the brute, but because his action conflicts with the order and the design of the Creator. Likewise, Cardinal Henry Manning observes that We owe a sevenfold obligation to the Creator of those animals, and therefore, Although a poor mule or a poor horse is not, indeed, a moral person, yet the Lord and maker of the mule is the highest lawgiver 
and his nature is a law unto himself. And in giving a dominion over his creatures to man, he gave it subject to the condition that it should be used in conformity to his perfections, which is his own law, and therefore our law. Unquote. This elephant human rights case illustrates the insanity of modern culture. The left believes that the child in the womb has no rights, but an elephant in the zoo does. This lawsuit is the result of a society that is no longer governed by moral law. Once God and natural law are out of the picture, man easily falls prey to errors. This will inevitably lead to laws based on emotions rather than upon the solid foundation of reason guided by faith. This concludes the false and revolutionary promise of total equality. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.